Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. Today's guest is DJ Semtex, who is the author, podcaster, radio host, and DJ. Sem runs Hip Hop Raised Me, which is a podcast that interviews many of the biggest hip hop artists all across the world. And Sem actually hosted me on his podcast a couple weeks ago, where we hosted part one of a two-part conversation. Part one, we talked about what we were anticipating before Certified Loverboy and Donda dropped. And part two, which is this podcast, talks about what we think about both albums afterward, thinking about the marketing, but also the content of the albums and the reception and everything that's involved with it. And we also talked about Sem's career too. I don't know many people that are more passionate about hip hop than Sem is. He has a full appreciation and understanding. And I think that's one of his strongest qualities. And we see that come out in this episode. It was also great to talk with him too about what the post-pandemic vibe has been like and what he's seen so far performing at different music festivals. And we also talked about some of the differences of podcasting versus radio, what he likes most about each platform and how he's able to help navigate the two of them and how the relationships he's built over the years with some of the biggest artists have helped him to continue to land some of those big interviews over time. It's funny because that's actually one of the ways that Sam and I first connected in one of my first Trapital essays ever. This was back in 2018. I'd written about Drake. This was right around the time that Scorpion had dropped. And I quoted an interview that Drake had did with Sem back in 2017 after More Life dropped. A couple weeks after that, Sem ended up joining the email list and then we connected from there. And I always give him credit because UK is rising up the ranks for Trapital. London is now the third biggest city for Trapital readers and listeners. So I always give Sem credit for that. We had a great conversation, covered a bunch. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my chat with DJ Semtex. All right, we got DJ Semtex here, and this is actually part two of a podcast that him and I did on the Hip Hop Raised Me podcast a couple weeks ago. Before Certified Lover Boy, before Donda dropped, we talked about what we felt going into these albums, what we expected, and now we're on the other side. We've heard these albums a few times. We've seen what the artists have said. We've also heard a bit of the drama as well. So now that we're a bit removed, Sam, how you feeling about CLB? How you feeling about Donda? Uh, I'm going to try to be as diplomatic as possible because for the last couple of weeks, we've just seen it's almost like it, the media's pushing a whose side you on kind of thing. And this album's done this amount of streams in two days. And this album's done this billion streams in three days. And it's like, but the bottom line is when it comes to the music, Donda is a masterpiece. It's more Kanye West greatness. It's an amazing album. It's one of his greatest albums. I think everything about it, the detail, the structure, the concept, the way that the music is put together, the way that it's composed, the way that he's used rappers beyond their best abilities. He's pulled out the best of them. You know, that's the best J Electronica verse we've heard since Exhibit A. You know, it's like since way back. And I think with... The same for the way that he's worked with Playboy Carti, Little Dirk, and Five Year Phone has done the best verse of his life. So I feel like it's a very, very real win for the culture. I feel like it's a very great return for Kanye West. I think it's been difficult for him for the last few years because, you know, what he's been through and yay being yay. But it's a very, very great milestone within the culture. It's a very definitive marker. It's a very great snapshot of what's going on right now of who some of the greatest artists are of what the sound is 
And it's also classic gear at the same time. You can hear elements of users. You can hear elements of eight weights and heartbreak. You can hear elements of college dropout because Jesus Walks is basically the blueprint for this album and the Jesus is King album. So it's it's like a massive, incredible full circle. It's it's an amazing album for the culture. With Drake, I feel Drake's done Drake. I feel Drake has done Drake business. And I don't say that I'm not saying that in a negative way. I think he knows what his audience is. He knows the lifestyle that he's going for. I feel like he knows the kids that he's appealing to. He knows how to use popular culture, just everything from the cover to the way too sexy track. When I heard the way too sexy track, I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, what is this? What we're doing now? And, but when I saw the video, I was like, this is genius. And he's took it somewhere else. And I think, he took it somewhere and had fun with it. I feel like even though he's done this before and he's, he's not afraid to do something comical, but I feel like it's that Lil Nas X lane almost. It's almost like he's going in that territory where it's just massive, super pop. And he did tell, he did warn us all that people ain't going to like this and this, this, that, and the other. But the video is incredible. He understands meme culture. He understands the internet perfectly. So he's done an incredible album that will work for him. He's done an incredible album that utilizes the internet, that utilizes the language of youth culture. They're two very, very different albums. You can't compare the two. You can compare two rappers. You can compare the business of and the rollout of one against the other, but they're still not the same. We've done the what Kanye did. I don't think anyone else can do. You know, with the listening parties, he's done an album which is basically a tribute to his mom. And, you know, I saw this, the comments like, oh, it's, I'm exhausted listening to this album. It's one hour, 47 minutes long. People go to the cinema to watch films for three hours. It's like, come on, man, what the fuck is that? Like, really? Like, that's not even a valid criticism. That's silly. Like, you'll listen to a playlist for a certain amount of time or whatever. And I don't think the criticism is warranted. That's my opinion. I think with the Drake album, I feel like Drake's done Drake. Could have done a bit more. It could have pushed the envelope. It's the same features. It's the same territory. It's the same kind of tracks. It's the same moment. The Rick Ross and the Wayne joint, incredible. Incredible. Like, I wanted more of that. That's what I want. I hear that. And I think that's a good distinction between the two, especially we're talking about Donda. I got the impression from listening to it that this felt, and when you think about the listening parties as well, this felt a lot more like a play right? The musical, you are listening to a musical and the sequencing of that. And of course, musicals are what, two hours, uh, 45 minutes, three hours long. And that's the impression I got. And Donda, as well as Kanye specifically, has been someone that has always challenged the narrative and has been willing to do things differently. And I got that impression with Donda. And for him, you're right. This wasn't exactly the standard go around. This wasn't like a formula that he's done necessarily. Sure, there's production that sounds 100% like Kanye, but this album is very different than Ye, is very different than Jesus is King or The Life of Pablo and all those others before. It's such a different project. And I think he's given us something to go back and look to and listen to in a way that a lot of fans don't feel like they've had from Kanye in several years, at least just given some of the reception and the way people feel about the last projects. To your point about Drake, I agree. And I, I know I've written about this before. This is a machine. This is a 
music industry machine that understands what needs to be done, how to generate hype, how to put the music out there, and what type of flows and melodies are done. So it's almost perfectly engineered to be this album that can dominate the Billboard charts, dominate all the discussions, and I think everything from the marketing of it to all that is there. I think, and this is the point that I got from what you were saying as well, is that so much of the discussion, especially I think for people that live in hip hop Twitter or on Reddit and places like that, can be so marginalized to, well, what did this sell the first week? What did that do? And I know that even myself as someone that analyzes this, I can contribute to this as well. But it's so futile to focus on those types of things. It almost reminds me of what if people were having these same type of conversations when the blueprint came out and Ja Rule, Pain is Love is selling more than Jay-Z, the blueprint. People aren't using that as the narrative to say that, okay, Ja Rule is a more successful artist at the time. And I feel like people don't realize that that's the same thing that's kind of happening here now with the way we're talking about those things. What album will live on further on? I think that'll be an interesting discussion. I think Drake, in a lot of ways, we now know what to expect for the shelf life, if you will, of his albums as they come and go. But Kanye, it's different. So it's going to be really interesting to see the Donda impact and how that lives on from now. I can tell you what's going to happen. Donda's immortal. Musically, it's immortal. It really, really is. And it's like, even if you look at the meaning behind the title of the album and the concept, I'm listening to Donda. I like Donda. Donda's a masterpiece. Da, 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 da. He's immortalized his mother. He's is more than a tribute. And I think with the music, like the joint God breathed on this, that's an incredible, powerful track. Like to have the audacity to say that, but it's also the coolest flex is the greatest flex you can ever have. Like it's, it's the greatest you know, if you're an art student and you, you do your best, God breathed on this. You know what I mean? It's yeah, that's that's the highest rank you can give something. So it's it's really interesting to see the reviews on Dondo as well, because you know, over here the, the independent <laughs> they gave it a zero and then they did a review of their review and the Guardian's review where they gave it two out of five. And you could see that they hadn't even listened to the music. It was more about, oh, he's done something with the baby, he's done something with Marilyn Manson and and da, da 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 and he did this like and it was more judging that than anything else and i'm not even going to comment on that whether that's i get it like but you can't punish the greatness of a body of work publish it and then review it it's almost like artists the provocateurs it's almost like the press are doing that with this album it's crazy it's like it's like they're trying to do what they think Kanye's trying to do so it's like so you could say that Kanye is provoking by having the baby Marilyn Manson on there. But they're doing the same thing, saying, hey, look, we've given it not out of five, and we're going to review it as well. What they don't realize is, that's actually helping streams. It's just more conversation, because I think anybody who is sane and has listened to the music knows what it is. They get it. They know what it is. It's like I said, going back to God breathed on this, his rapping is a hip-hop track, but this choirs that sound like something out of Revenge of the Sith. You know, it's very, very dark, but it kind of isn't. It's, it's actually a track which is the ultimate, most empowering flex. So I think, and there's more elements like that throughout the album, the Hurricane joint with The Weeknd. I mean, whether both artists like it or not, that has to get a Grammy. It has to. It's an incredible track. 
It's like anybody who's on a Grammy committee and doesn't put that track forward, and I don't, whatever category it is, whether it's record of the year, hip-hop record, Christian rap record, whatever, it's like that track has to be in all the categories. You can't mess with that track. The greatness of it, the magnitude of it, the message in it, what it means and what it says. And it's reflected within the streams, like people vote with their feet. You can't trick that many people into streaming it. All right, so he's had three massive events, listening events with 40,000 people at each event. All right, so let's say it's just his fan base, like 120,000 people are on a few stands in the UK as well. You ain't getting that many streams. It's like that people are gravitating to the music. The music's working. The music's connecting. So the shelf life of this album, I would say as a, as a Kanye West fan, this is one of his classics. This is up there. This is on the shelf. This is a guy who's 10 albums, who's done 10 albums, and all of them, actually, you could call it nine albums because the Yay, it was the EP. It was never classed as an album. Somehow that's now in the catalog as an album. But if you look at all the albums that he's done, everything's excellent. Everything's classic. This continues, and this is almost like, this is almost like the marker that completes a set of 10. This is almost like 10 years in the making. It's like the anthology, right? Yeah, it's going to be hard for me to say anything negative about it because I don't see that. I can't hear the negatives. If you're just listening to the purity of the album, the cover's black. The cover's black. It's just titles. There's no features in the titles. So you are just accepting it on the merit of the music. There's been no big videos. There's been no... It's not been forced down your throat. And it's just like... So when you listen to it, whether you're on your commute, whether you're going to college, school, or whatever, whether you're just chilling at night... It's amazing. It's very difficult to critique it just on that merit. You can criticize Kanye all day long. I don't like what he did with Trump. I didn't like the fact he got with the Kardashians. I knew what was going to happen. He predicted what was going to happen. He said it in tracks. But with the music, you can't fault him. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think the point you made earlier about the reviews is a really interesting one because I saw the reviews for donda and a lot of them panned the album but i also saw the a lot of reviews for drake as well and certified lover boy you could pick the outlet people would say oh it's hollow it's this it's that and i wonder okay how much of that is honest and legitimate versus how much of that is aligned with how i think media and music criticism has changed in the era of social media because I think there's certain people that people feel a bit easier to have a critical opinion on or say what people want to be heard about that person. And I know that, for instance, there's a lot of journalists that don't even touch criticism of someone like Beyonce. Let's say that, you know, Beyonce is preparing for this next album. They might have a critical opinion, but they don't want to be the person that becomes the screenshot that says, oh, Beyonce's debut album, Dangerously in Love, it's fine, but she's Noah Shanti. I don't know if you remember that one, but that was from, um, I think it was in like 2003 when her debut album came out. But no one wants to be that person, especially now with the way the beehive is. But to the other extent, there's a narrative out there. People love to hate on Drake for how long and, and how, to use the words of a few journalists, hollow his album has been, or even Kanye and a lot of that being a virtue signal, not just for his album, but for some of the broader transgressions and actions that he's done in public in recent years. And I wonder in this era, then how do we really look at that journalism critique? Maybe to your extent, it's what the independent and guardian balance have done where 
people are doing reviews of the reviews and being honest. But of course, there's some exposure there. So that's something that I think about. I think for journalists, it's a different day, right? And I think they used to have albums eight weeks up front. They used to have albums ahead. They'd be invited to the studio to hear the process and they'd have the inside scoop. Now they're like everybody else. Now it's like, join the queue. Now it's like, on Friday, if you're a super stand in the UK, get up at five in the morning to listen to it. And in Friday, like, even for me, I have to have my opinion ready. I get it. My listeners are like, what do you think? I've got to have answers straight away. I've got to have a read on it. So even to the extent with Donda, it dropped on a Sunday. And I was going out for a meal with my family and we were in the car. And then um, I was like, what, Donda's dropped? And my kids was like, yeah, didn't you know it dropped 30 minutes ago? I'm like, oh, I've been a little busy. You know what I mean? So then I'm like, straight away on my timeline, Sam, what do you think? And I'm like, I had to listen to it for the speaker of my phone because I didn't have my headset. So I'm listening to the album from the speaker of my phone because I need to have an opinion straight away, right? It's not the best way to listen to music, but I can listen to it. And I can get my first reviews on my timeline. I stand by that review and it was it was a read. When I, I lived with it for a week, I did another and I pretty much said similar to what I said earlier. And basically the immediacy and the need to have a review in place for me, if that's what it's like for me, I don't know what it's like for publications where they've got to keep up with public opinion because the public have made their mind up. I see it every week when I do my radio show. I track and drop at 6 p.m. I'm on air at 9 p.m. Yeah, play that new da 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 da. And I'm just like, they've already consumed it, listened to it, and, and they want to hear it for the 20th time on the radio while they're out. So it's like, you have to keep up. And I think that's the problem. I think, I don't know if journalists look at it like that. I don't know if. Because the prestige of what they had before is gone. It's the, the public and Uber fans' opinion is as important as anybody else's. And I think that's the problem that they've got. So I feel like it's very easy to get attention by giving a negative album review. It's almost like business for them to do that. So, for instance, I don't know if you saw it, Pepper the Pig, the album got a better review on Pitchfork than Kanye West. And then Pepper the Pig, whoever does the account, tweeted that, 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 that we didn't have to do that. And it's all bullshit. Like, I find that shit offensive because what you've got is a corporate entity that does Pepper the Pig using their account to diminish a very credible musician, regardless of genre. And then you've got Pitchfork, who I've never put them on a pedestal. I don't give a fuck about what Pitchfork review. I really don't care. Like, I don't care. Like, it has no bearing on my life whatsoever. It has no bearing on my opinion of music. And I feel that's the same for everybody else that I know who's a fan of music. So you've got one entity that is punishing a project and the fact that they review projects again from several years ago and admit they were wrong or whatever, whatever, just shows it's all bullshit. It's all flawed. And I just think with... It becomes like... It's a very horrible, self-serving, marketing, brand-building exercise at the expense of artistry. And I think that's bullshit. And I think that's the more that these publications do this shit, the less relevant they're becoming in the conversation of music. And it's why artists won't talk to people like that. An artist is more likely to talk to me or you 
because they know what we're about than some publication that might take something and twist it and turn it into some other shit. I've seen them do it with Rick Ross. I've seen them, someone was begging for an interview with Rick Ross one time, a journalist, and then when the piece came, it was just like a piss take piece. It was just like they mocked him. Like it was just, and I think that's why artists, and then going back to your point about Beyonce, you don't see Beyonce interviews. You don't see Beyonce reviews. And I think even what she did with the Lemonade album where it just came out and everything else, it defeats the whole, what we think is the single and what's going to work. And da, 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 da. the fans dictate everything now. And I think that's better. I think that it's a better place to be. I think it's better for artists. It's better for fans. It's better for music. So I think the less gatekeepers are involved, the better, in my opinion. And I think part of that difference, too, is that a lot of the people that are putting this stuff up now, they're a bit more specialized in writing in this post-social media era where this is what they know. This is how they know a world to generate buzz or to get seen with whatever they're putting out there. And obviously, you come from a more holistic experience. I mean, you've been in this game for years, well before anyone thought of social media and understand everything related to it. And you also have other jobs besides just what you do as a journalist or a broadcaster. I mean, you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a radio host, and you're a DJ. You've seen what it's like, so you have that full understanding and perspective. And I'd actually like to talk about that piece of it, the DJ piece, because I know that you've been doing sets now, now that the world is starting to open back up and stuff. And how do you feel like the energy is? How do you feel like the energy is pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic when you're out in crowds now? I feel my immediate view is that the fans are more passionate than ever before. I get DM'd weeks before the show. You're going to play this at your set. I've never had that before. It's crazy. Like I've had people, like when I did Leeds Festival recently, can you play Little Peep? Can you play this track? Can you do that? And you know, like for anybody to take the time out to do that, for me, nine times out of 10, I'm already going to do it anyway, but I'm, I'll make the effort because it's like, it's dope feedback. It's listener, fan feedback, whatever. And I feel like that's a privilege. It's a privilege to have the audience reach out and say, we'd like you to do this at this event that you're DJing at. So for instance, with it was the same with wireless. Somebody reached out to me and was like, can you please play some Donda? I was like, of course. You know, I was just going back and forth in DMs. Because Jail would sound incredible. And I'm like, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Like, of course I'm going to do that. And I think from that aspect, I feel like the fans are more passionate. I feel like they want to really mosh. The kids just want to mosh harder than ever before. I was at a little Uzi show recently. And I was DJing. And, you know, I killed it. <laughs> Excuse my confidence when I talk about what I do on stage. Hey, man, you got to say it with your chest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I killed that shit, right? So, and then 10 minutes into the set, the sound man comes up and says, oh, it's distorting. I think it's your Serato box. And I was like, this isn't good, but I carried on. The crowd was incredible. The footage is on the timeline, the evidence. They loved it. They loved XXX Tentacion, word for word. That, that's one of the tracks you can play from finish to end. They love Switchblades, Little Pete, went crazy to that. Everything. They were going crazy to everything. And the sound was distorting, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I thought it was too late because I got asked to do the show at the last minute. So it was just literally run on stage and turn up. So that's what I did. Bit distorting. I was a bit unhappy with myself because you know, I wanted to be perfect. 
So then they'll go to the balcony to watch the Little Uzi show. The whole thing was distorted. His set was distorted. So I don't know if it was an engineer that uh, just maxed out the system or limited it to the max hard or whatever. Fans didn't care. That show was an amazing night. They didn't care that it was like a breaking point, like almost distorted. It was distorting. Like if it was at a 10, it's like it had been pushed to an 11 and it was breaking. They didn't care. It's almost like a live show now for artists, it's as much a meet and greet as it is a performance. Like you've got Lil Uzi Vert come on stage, no band. I don't even know if it's a DJ. It might have just been his engineer. I don't know. It's just Lil Uzi Vert and a video screen. And that's the standard for most shows right now. And the cameraman. The cameraman's replaced the hype man, right, at every show. So crowd reaction, 10 out of 10. Like entertainment, 10 out of 10. Like afterwards, people had come out. Everybody came out of it bare-chested. It was like the entire venue of 5,000 people was in a mosh pit. It was like everyone was soaked. Everyone was dripping wet in sweat. Everyone was like drained and everyone's like, yeah, that's great. It was great. It's like they very, very much were entertained, like to the ninth degree. He, he couldn't have done any more. He played all his bangers. He played six unreleased tracks. And when an artist plays unreleased tracks and they go off, you know it's a good night. You know it's a, a fan base. You know it's people that appreciate it. So to answer your question, I think the fans are more passionate than ever before. I think. They want to go out more than ever before. They appreciate the music more than ever before. They appreciate the artist and they appreciate the experience. So for me as a DJ, it's the best time. It is the greatest time ever. I'm hoping, praying that there isn't another lockdown. Like I'm hoping we're at a point where we can do this and cope with it. But it's amazing. Like Leeds Festival was definitely the best gig I've ever had in my life. At the age that I'm at, I'm having the best gig of my life. That week, the same week that I did Leeds Festival, Burner Boy did the O2 Arena, 20,000 people. Looked amazing. Leeds Festival, I was on stage in front of 20,000 people. Amazing. As a DJ, I'm just playing tracks. My EP only just came out. It's not even like, you know, I'm not DJ Khaled. I'm not. This is just me DJing on stage, killing it. No hype man, nothing. Just me and my cameraman. So it's like, it's like, it was an absolute zoo for the entire time I was on stage. It is a movie. It was everything. And it is like, it's the exact reason why I got into this. And um, I think people appreciate the experience more than ever. That's what I'm saying. That's great. That's good to hear. Yeah, because I think a lot of people weren't sure what that energy was going to be like, especially if the crowds aren't there. But yeah, I saw the footage. You had the crowds live. I mean, when whether it was Uzi Vert on stage, I saw when you played Sickle Mode, the crowd just went wild. That's good to see. And I'm sure like if that's what it's like, what you're seeing in Leeds, that's what it's going to be like in the rest of the world. And I think eventually once things really start to open back up, I know that things are still slightly restricted now, but yeah, I think we got a good future ahead then. Definitely. And the thing is, Reading and Leeds Festival, that was a rock festival. It, traditionally, it was like, there's a kind of place where Linkin Park and all these other rock acts will play and everything else like that. And then, you know, there'd be the odd hip hop acts, right? Might get one on the main stage. Now it's different. That was like the Red and Black Festival. It was like everybody was winning on stage. Everybody, the hip hop tent was doing it. The dance tent, everybody was winning. But, you know, the UK drill phenomenon out here is huge. And there's a guy called Russ tore it up. The Storms is huge already. But when Dave came out to perform their track, like a drill track, it's called Clash. That was the biggest moment, I'd say, of the weekend, basically. And this is like, 
100,000 people, whatever the capacity is, it's like, it's reciting raps. This is Middle England. This isn't black communities together in one space. This is Middle England. This is like people from across the UK. And it's pop music, whether it's UK rap, UK drill, hip hop, or whatever. It's mainstream music now. It's not, I can't see it going away anytime soon. We talked about this on my podcast. Is there ever going to be a point where it's too much? But seeing what's happened with Redden and Leeds Festival, Wireless Festival, and the Donda release and Certified Loverboy, I don't know. I think if people can keep up with the quality of music and keep stimulating the crowd and having music that inspires and pushes the envelope, and then I don't know. I think it's going to be here for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And for folks listening, what Seven I talked about in the last podcast was about hip hop and whether or not it's going to reach a saturation point. And I think that's a question that both of us get asked often. And yeah, I think for me, it is a lot more to do with the subgenres within hip hop that may ebb and flow as opposed to it as a unit, right? Gangster rap has had its ebb and flows throughout, and it's not nearly what it was in the G Funk era. But it's paved way for other types of hip hop to come to the surface. And I think, sure, the, if you want to call it the certified lover boy sound may eventually ebb and flow as well. I don't know about Drake specifically, but I think that he himself has found a way to adapt with the times. And I think we'll probably continue to see that. So that's something that I agree with for sure. So the interesting thing is, and we touched on this last time is that Dave he sold 74,191 copies week one, which is an incredible result. That's more than Kanye and Drake put together week one out here. It's more than any other UK rapper and everything else. And there's a sense that the more conscious type of rap's going to be more at the center stage because I think I hear it all the time. And this is not my opinion. This is what, this is some feedback that I'm hearing. Like, they want substance. That's what they want. And I think where in America you've got the J. Coles and the Kendricks, and that Kendrick verse on the Baby King joint, incredible. But over here, there's Dave, there's Little Sims, there's a guy that I've worked with called Boy Nash. We put an EP out, and it's the same thing. It's like even with that EP that I put out, so great EP, I'm doing my business now. Um, <laughs> it was like I just did it because I just wanted to do a project that was a foundation block to establish me as a producer. And it was just like, I chose this kid because he rapped the rap that I like, but the comments were crazy. Like everyone was saying the same thing. Like, yo, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is substance. This is depth. What the game's been missing kind of thing. And I think, I think there's definitely, we may see a shift to that. Just, I'm just going off what everybody's saying. Like people want more substance in the music. I think Dave, has proven that with the numbers that he's done is crazy. So over here, that's what's happening over here anyway. Yeah, that's impressive. And I think too, you have a great purview for this because you're talking to people in different mediums, right? You're talking to people on your radio show, you're talking to people on your podcast and you get to see the full circle. And one thing that I've wondered for you is obviously you're doing interview style discussions and have done interviews on different types of formats. How different do you approach the conversations you may have in a podcast form, like with Hip Hop Raise Me versus what you may do with Extra and what you may do on radio? For me, the podcast is the director's cut. For radio, it's a very, you know, I'm in town, passing through, da, 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 da. you got to keep it light. 
because it's all about the music. The radio is about enhancing someone's day. So I'm on in the evenings. So it's my job to put you in a place where whether you're traveling to a gig or whether you're coming home or whatever, whatever, I'm starting the weekend. So I have to, my show has to have that turn up energy. I can't do a 60 minute in-depth interview. That isn't going to do this. It's inappropriate for that time of day. So for instance, I've had French Montana on recently and we was talking about the number of UK collaborations is done. You could actually draw an infographic of the collaborations that he's done over the years. He may have done more than Drake. He was one of the first to do it as well. And I was, taking him back and forth and we're going through that journey. That's a cool listen for Friday night because most of the tracks that he's jumped on are classics. So it's a very easy show. It's a very easy listen as a hip hop fan. Or if you're a new hip hop fan, you're seeing what this guy's done. It doesn't work the same way in a podcast because of rights issues and everything. And you can't play the music and everything else. So it doesn't work the same way. So with French, the podcasts that I have done with him are more detailed. It's more, you know, his life, his story, what he's been through, the whole thing about his view on immigrants and America and everything else is different. And I couldn't do that on radio in the same way. So it's very, I feel very privileged to be able to do different styles. I feel very, yeah, I've worked a lot to get to this point. But as a fan, it's a privilege to be able to have the trust of people that you've championed over the years and respected and they're dominating the charts and everything else. It is, it's, we're privileged. I mean, it's, it's the same for yourself when you've got the biggest boss, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the biggest boss. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of those things. And I think that you, cause I've heard you say it in other interviews that you definitely prefer to talk to artists when they're not on their promo cycle. And I think it's because you get to have that director's cut type conversation. But I also think, you know, that being able to have that director's type cut conversation comes with trust. And oftentimes it comes with the relationship and credibility. And I think that you are able to build that. And oftentimes by having those promo discussion type conversations when they come up, right? It's like, for instance, just looking at your journey in your relationship with Drake, for instance, you having a promo style interview when he releases So Far Gone puts you in a position that when he's releasing more life, he's DMing you to be like, hey, Sam, let's chat. And then you get to have that conversation that a lot of people just weren't having right around the time that more life came. So I feel like, at least from my perspective, it feels like it's a funnel in a lot of ways. So even though you may prefer this medium, you may not be able to do it exclusively. Yeah. And I think with that first Drake interview, that was done with, I need to introduce this guy to the UK. So that's why it was like, yeah, let's do a promo type thing on a mixtape. Let's, you know what I mean? Because no one else would do that. And it's the best way to make it palatable for an audience that may not know who he is. And it's dope to be able to flow in and out of the different styles for wherever they're needed, for whatever format I'm doing the interviews on. But Again, I'm just ultimately, as a fan, I just feel incredibly privileged to be able to sit down with different people in different capacities. And I think it's invaluable experience. I don't see these talks as interviews. I see them as lessons. You know, I see them as chapters in a book. And I feel like, for instance, the episode that I just did with Pierre Bourne is fascinating. There's a lot of parallels between him and Kanye West. He's a young producer, he raps, he raps on his own beats, he's an entrepreneur, he's doing fashion and everything else, and he's doing a sound that defines hip-hop in this generation, for this generation. 
what his experience and his thought processes and his beliefs and everything fascinating is like very, very inspiring. But it's like I said, it's a lesson for anyone coming through, like his approach to, you know, even the fact that he was saying plan, plot and execute. I haven't heard anyone else his age say that. I haven't heard anybody else, the fact that he's got that. And, and you know, he's coming through in a different time. There's a lot more mentorship now than there was 10, 20 years ago. But it's still, again, there's a learning to get from that talk, like somewhere for someone. So it's the responsibility to get it right. You know, it's, I've got to get the detail out of him. I've got to ask him about how he feels about 6 9 using one of his tracks without actually saying it. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and then he gets upset for the rest of the interview. It's like, I just put it in a different way. So it's not headline grabbing and, or saying the same thing that's been asked a lot of times. And I was just, you know, and I, and I did it differently. How do you feel when you make music and that your DNA is in your music and your soul? How do you feel when it goes to someone you didn't expect it to? You get a better answer and he's still in a good mood. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I, I think about like, even, you know, we mentioned earlier, like my interview with Rick Ross, part of it, I knew, okay, he just released a book. He is on a tour. So I know that I'm not going to be able to necessarily get as deep in the conversation. But after reading the book, there's so many things you want to be able to dig into, but you're also cognizant of like, I'm not out here just trying to generate blog posts about like, oh, what Rick Ross said about Kanye West and Drake beef. Like, I'm not as concerned about that, but you're still trying to balance that with everything. So it's interesting. And obviously I think, you know, you're a pro at this, just given that example. And I think that the people that are good at this are able to help distinguish between the two of those and can still get the things they want. I mean, there's an art to this, right? There's a huge art to how you have these. And I think even the way you launched the Rick Ross conversation, it was like that tweet, like, I'm going to be talking to the biggest boss. It's like, it was, it was like, oh shit, he got it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't think any other platform would have done that. They wouldn't have said that. And they wouldn't have an audience that would understand what that means. It's a very great time to do what we do. And I think we're in an, an environment where our reputations will only, only get bigger and bigger and travel. So the next, because even what I get now is a lot of managers Say to, I did an interview with Bobby Sessions, like so for the podcast, and he was great. He's amazing. He he's incredibly inspiring as well. His whole approach to things and everything else, and his whole thing about manifesting destiny and in self fulfilling prophecy, everything, all of that. He's a walking book on stuff like that. But he said, "Look, my manager said, like when I first started working at this point in your career, you're going to do the Semtex interview, and da 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 da." And, and it's fascinating to hear that. You know, it's like. Is on the list, but you've got a manager who is probably from my era who's telling a younger artist, you need to do this at this point in your career. Crazy. So I'm incredibly privileged. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, last question actually for you before we let you go, you had mentioned something else in the interview that really stuck out to me. You had said that hip hop in a lot of ways has changed the podcasting world. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, because I think we've, there's a lot of podcasts and different styles of things and everything else. But I think we like the conversation. I'm going to say we or say the hip hop community worldwide, not just in America, like in the UK and everywhere else around the world. And we like that first for the inside detail. I think Joe Budden has been very instrumental in bringing light to this i know there's other people that have been doing hip-hop podcasts for years and it's no disrespect to them but i think for instance when joe budden was talking to push t 
what he did with that, that could not be done on radio. It could not be done in a magazine or anything else. That conversation, and there is a generation of people now that would rather watch Joe Wooden talk for three hours than late night TV. The days of people just watching anything that comes on after midnight and TV are done. People are going through the YouTube channel. People, whether it's the algorithm kicking in or whether it's someone trying to find out about their favorite artist, it's the conversation, it's the director's cut. So you've got the Semtex director's cut. Now you've got the academics, like alternative director's cut. There's different angles. I don't do, I I love academics. That's my guy. I, I interviewed him before he started to do everyday struggle literally the day before and he couldn't talk about it and everything but even before that i rated the way he put his youtube clips together it was like a lot of information it's entertaining it's fast-paced he, what he does is totally different but even with him there's a weird attraction to what he did with whack and that six nine podcast i never heard the podcast but i heard the podcast and i heard the podcast on the timeline i found myself going to clubhouse to hear WAC 100 talk about the podcast. I found myself in rooms listening to people complaining about academics, having these people on the podcast. I was like, this is crazy. Like, it was like, it was in a weird way, like academics, there's a podcast with Spotify that I haven't listened to, I haven't had time, but it's so well publicized and everything else. He's given Clubhouse, like... A new hype. Just as the golden age of Clubhouse was like six months ago and it's done. Like everyone's like, yeah, they had enough of it at a certain point. But then all of a sudden, academics does something and it's the new conversation on Clubhouse. There's people getting upset and there's people like giving out their opinions and everything else. And it's all from podcasts. I've never seen any other podcast do that. I like what Joe Rogan does, but I don't see travel like that unless it's someone trying to cancel him. So you know, and even from what Rosenberg and Cypher did back in the day, that was mad funny. It was different. It was like, it was dope what they did. It was a different conversation, different style. But I think in this era of increased technological advances and 5G and everything's faster and there's more channels and we have the gram, we have Twitter and Facebook's for like when you want to look at what you did when you was a kid or family and friends or whatever. But now you've got platforms you don't know what goes on like you don't know what goes on in clubhouse unless yo some shit's going down in clubhouse then you then you can find out what's going on or you'll see a screenshot of a room on clubhouse or whatever they can't manage that i mean good luck to them trying to like whatever they're trying to do with their platform you can't manage it it's so in real time but then you've got there's an artist i know called matronica who is in discord groups the guy just made a track in a Discord group with two other producers. And they're all in the UK. They're all in other parts of London. Not that far apart from each other. But the fact that they're producing in real time, in perfect internet quality, and it's like, yeah, I just finished this track, is crazy. And I feel like the hip-hop thirst for real-time information, progress on your favorite artist, or progress on the artist that you want to hate, it is unrivaled in any other genre. It is unrivaled in any other field of entertainment. I know true crime podcasts are very, very popular. The audience for those is not doing what we do. They're not doing what we do. They're not going to go to clubhouse. Oh, what's going on? What? Like, you know, it's not, and then join in as well and whatever. It's none of that. It's, It's just the hip hop fan is the ultra consumer, the hyper consumer. And that's music, clothing, information, entertainment, everything we can't get enough of it we can't like 
it's a wonder people's brains haven't overloaded. They say that the amount of communication and information that we we consume on a daily basis is now something like 27 gig, right? I don't know how that was worked out, but it's something like that. That's going to be 50 gig very, very soon. It's only going to get faster. They're only going to want more. Kendrick's going to put out this album. We're going to want another one within three months. And we're going to... And this is the other thing. It's like even the announcement for Kendrick Lamar, it's on a note. It's on a note. It's not a press release. That's what going back to what we're saying about journalists. It's not being announced by a publication. It's a note, right? And then with the whole Kanye posting text exchanges and everything else, Kanye making announcements on the gram, like Universal put out my album without permission. No context. No one has a clue what it means. No one, but it becomes a thing and it becomes a news story and it's on every news platform and everything else. Again, that thirst for what's going on, what's happening, da, 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 da. It's like, and I feel that's why hip hop has blown up podcasts differently because I think the content of certain podcasts carries gold and that gold is consumed. The fans want more. The fans want more. And I think the podcast market is getting, it's got to revolve into something else soon because there's too many. Everyone's doing it. Every corporation, every platform, there's a podcast for everything, right? And there's only so much the human being can consume in, let's say they're awake for 16 hours. There's only so much a consumer can do in that time. And TV is fighting for that attention. Video games fight for that attention. Music and everything else. So something's got to give or something's got to evolve. And I think all those lead to TikTok. I think TikTok is the platform that is evolving before our very eyes. And no one over 16 has a clue what's going on with it. No one over 16 has a clue how to use it. No one's figured out how to use the timeline. No one, but the creators on there, what they're doing is crazy. It's insane. Like every artist, whether you're a DJ, journalist, whatever you do as a creative, your future competition is coming through TikTok right now. And that's it. Because they're using the combination of accessible technology, the video, the captioning, the audio aspects, and that need to get a message across in a short space of time. They're evolving with that. And most regular people haven't even caught up with that yet. They just see the odd meme or the odd TikTok, which goes viral. But where that's going now, and now they're going to be doing 20-minute clips, that's a problem for TV. TV's done. Because whatever that's going to look like, it is a problem for TV. Because TV, Netflix, however we look at that now, TikTok doing 20-minute shows, I don't even want to know what that's going to be like. 27 gig. 50 gig. That's where it's going. That's a good point. You're right. Yeah. And I think that the hip hop piece of it specifically, they found a way to have, as you put it, these directors cut conversation, but hip hop just did a better job of repurposing the content to make it everywhere and hitting people, right? Because as we often talk about, this is a culture and you want to hit people everywhere that they're at, whether it's the follow-on discussions on Clubhouse or the clips everywhere. Yeah, that's really what it is. So no, I'm glad you mentioned that piece of it. And yeah, man, I think you're a you're a living testament to it yourself. And it's just been great to watch you on this journey. I mean, I knew once you launched this podcast, I was like, oh yeah, he's going to be set. He knows exactly how to work this thing and keep it going. So no, man, this this is dope. It was really great to have you. And like we said the last time, we got to have like a annual recap or something like that. So this definitely 
we'll link up again soon. But uh, before we let you go, you already dropped a few artists that people should be checking for, but specifically from the UK, who are some people that people should be listening to? Like, you know, they know about Stormzy, but like, who else should they be checking out? They should know about Dave. They should know about Little Sims. They should know about Boy Nash. Um, they need to know about Digger D. Crazy. Digger D is insane. Like, he's one of the guys that taught Reading Festival as well. They need to know about Russ. And there's a female artist called Shabo. Crazy. There's, there's so many great artists coming out over here. And they all want to crack America. They've all got it in their sights. They've all... They want it. They all want to be a Madison Square Garden. They, all of that. So... They're coming. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, Sam, thanks again, bro. This is a pleasure. Always, man. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapolo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.